0: I don't know about you, I enjoy the opportunities that we get every week to uh, come and hear the Word of God preached. I enjoy listening to preaching. I try to uh, Every week I try to listen to other preachers. Um, some people say, well, you are a preacher, but the truth is we all need preaching, and uh, it charges our batteries a little bit and encourages us. There's times it convicts us, and there's times that we need conviction from God on our lives, and then other times it just seems to build us up and edify us and causes us to be reminded once again of the goodness of God in our lives. And uh, I don't know about you, but there are times that God stirs in such a way that you almost just can't contain the love that you have for him. And uh, it, gets, it gets to be, uh, I, I think the song that I wrote years ago, if he keeps on blessing and blessing, if he keeps on pouring it on, and the, the idea of it is, uh, I just don't know what I'm going to do if he keeps doing this. And uh, it's a a wonderful time to be around God's people and uh, to hear the Word of God preached. Let's look in our Bibles tonight, if you will, Psalm 126. For those of you that gave music tonight, thank you so much. That that adds something to the service, I think, and certainly was a blessing to hear all the music tonight. And um, we've got um, almost a month's worth of uh, special music tonight, so... Uh, all this month past that we didn't have any, you guys got a full of, full of it tonight, so we got it. But uh, thank you all very much. Appreciate so many of you doing that and uh, giving your talents to the Lord that way. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, we come to you tonight, and I pray that for the next few moments you will empower and strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that you'll do a work that I know I can't do tonight. Lord, there's such a burden on my heart and a, a thought that I uh, just can't seem to get away from. And I pray that you would help for the next few moments to allow the uh, moving of your Holy Spirit, to allow this truth to come across clearly and plainly. And Father, it will be something that will stir us and help us in our lives. And Lord, we want most of all for you to be honored and glorified, for you to be lifted up in this service. Father, that we would exalt you in our lives, that we would exalt you uh, in front of others, and Lord, that we would lift you high. Lord, we're in a desperate time and a desperate strait in the world that we live in. I pray that you would help us to take the banner of the cross and to wave it with boldness, to wave it high so that the world can see. I pray that you'd help us to be cities that are set on a hill, and that you'd help us to be salt and light to this world. And Lord, may you use the message tonight to stir our hearts in such a way that it cannot help but be contagious to those that we come in contact with. So I pray that you'll bless all that is said and done here for the next few moments tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We read a very familiar passage of Scripture. Many times we've heard this; uh, these verses preached on as we get to the end of this particular psalm, but I'd like to, if you'll bear with me, to start at the beginning of the psalm because I believe there's... A lot of truth that is found before the final two verses. And truth that I believe leads us into what the final two verses teach. As we find that the Bible says in the very first part of this psalm, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. And I want you to understand that the children of Israel went through many cycles of uh, turning to God and having great revival and God blessing them and delivering them. And then they would go through a time of apathy and kind of indifference before they finally turned wholeheartedly to idols and began following after some of the other heathen nations. And once again, God would use captivity and bring uh, pestilence to the land and put them under uh, judgment. And uh, the times that they were delivered uh, were times of great joy and gladness in their hearts. And many of the Israelites knew of those times and As we get to this particular psalm, it speaks of the nation of Israel looking forward to the time that God will deliver them from their captivity. And we get to verse number one, and notice I want you to see the very first word of the chapter as we find that it says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. These folks knew that God was faithful. Can I share with you this tonight? God is always faithful. And God never goes back on His word. There's never a time that God is not with us. There's never a time that He will forsake us and cause us to be out there on our own that we cannot return to Him. Even when we get away from God and we do things uh, uh, that uh, would cause us what we would call backsliding in our lives, God is still standing there with open arms waiting to receive us back, waiting for us to come to Him. And there's no difference in how He dealt with the nation of Israel and the way that Many times he deals with individual Christians nowadays. And I want you to notice this. No matter what we're going through in our lives, God is always there and he's always waiting for you and I to come to him. And I don't care if you're here tonight and everything's going well in your life and you're close to the Lord. Can I tell you this? You can get closer. You never can get too close to the Lord, can you? If you're here tonight and you've gone cold and you've gotten away from some things of the Lord, can I tell you this? He's waiting there with open arms again. He's ready for you to come back. And I just want to point out at the onset of this, that God is always, always, always infinity, always faithful. The Bible says here that when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, and we find something that is said here in this verse, and we'll find it again in verse number, I believe it is uh, verse number 4, as they refer to the captivity, and they're looking to the Lord for deliverance. Can I say this? That while the children of Israel were responsible for the circumstances that led them to captivity, understand that the captivity came from the Lord. The captivity was his judgment for their sin. And since the captivity was from the Lord, they knew and understood that the deliverance must also come from the Lord. The truth of the matter is, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, while Adam and Eve were responsible for the sin and for the death that took place, and for us, all of us now are born sinners because of that, understand this, that the, uh, the, uh, uh, the judgment of God on sin was there, and so the only way that that sin can be delivered from, we can be delivered from that sin, is also from God. There is no other way. We weren't the ones that condemned our sins. God condemned our sins. And so we must come to Him for deliverance. And so we find kind of a parallel thing here that's taking place. I want you to notice what's said in verse number 1, as the Israelites are looking forward to their deliverance. And it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, look at this, "we uh, we were like them that dream. In other words, they said we were so full of joy at what God was doing in the deliverance that He's done in the past, that we were overjoyed and we couldn't tell if it was real or if it was a dream. And I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I don't know how, how in the world a Christian can go through life having, a, having tasted of the mercies of God. Because the truth of the matter is, we were all in captivity, weren't we? The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were in Satan's prison house, if you will. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but that dank, vulgar, vile place that pit of sin that you and I used to be in. When God delivered us, do you remember the joy that happened? I'm talking about when Jesus reached down into the miry clay, somebody put it the one way, and set our feet on a solid rock. Boy, what a joyous day that was. I've heard people pray and say, Boy, I just wish I had the joy of the Lord uh, in my heart once again. Can I tell you this? If we've been treated by God the way that He claims He's treated us, we are joyful. I don't understand how somebody can be otherwise than that. Because we've been delivered. We have been emancipated from the old, the, the old prison house that Satan gave us. And of all people who ought to be cheerful and joyful in the Lord, it ought to be Christians. It ought to be Christians that go around the world, not in the molly all day, talking about how bad this country is or how bad our life is or all the things. But, but no wonder the world doesn't want what we have sometimes. When we walk around in the sadness and the depths and the despair that we used to be in when we were in the pit. But we've been delivered, haven't we? When the Lord delivered us, we were like somebody who was in a dream. Is this for real? The burden that used to be on my heart now has rolled away. That, that thing that I, I, I knew was missing in my life that I hungered and thirsted for for so long... And Christ came and gave me the living water and the living bread, and I don't thirst or hunger anymore. What a day that was. And great joy came. And many times we are like people who are in a dream when we get saved. We say, is this for real? I don't know if I can contain this or not. By the way, can I help you with something tonight? Don't ever lose the joy of the salvation experience. Don't ever lose it. I don't know if we don't reflect on it enough, if we don't thank God for it enough. But for some reason, we have a tendency, don't we, to lose that joy. Circumstances pile on. The old flesh nature fights us and tries to drag us back into the law of sin and death and that experience of the old dungeon nature that we used to be in. And before long, we begin to lose our joy. But how can we be joyless? When God has given us His mercy and His grace, He's been forever faithful to us. There's not one man that has ever sinned so much that God said, I can't save him. Every one of us sitting here today, I don't care what you've done, God says, come unto me. And those that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I won't cast them out. There's not one person that ever came to the Lord Jesus Christ, He said, I can't do it. Oh, what a joy. We find as we get to verse number 2, it says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Can I tell you this? The joy that comes ought ought to be so overwhelming to us that we cannot help but speak of the things that we've seen. You remember the story when Jesus was born, and the angels come to the shepherds. And the shepherds go, and they make haste, and they go to the... When I was a kid, I used to think they made haze and ran and brought haze to the... Thing, but they made haste and they ran to the stable and they saw the Christ child. And the Bible says that when they left, they went spreading abroad the things that they had seen and heard, and all the great things that these folks used to go out and tell about folks about the Lord Jesus Christ when they saw him. Those that would, were healed and the miracles that were performed by Jesus in his earthly ministry. And many times Jesus would say, "My time is not yet come. Don't tell anybody about this." And what did the people do? They went and told everybody they could about it. They couldn't contain it. Why is it that when we have great salvation and great forgiveness and the mercy of God that's been so graciously given to us that has delivered us from the prison house of Satan and put our feet on a solid rock, and not only that, he gives us a home in heaven for all of eternity, why in the world would we not shout it from the rooftops to the lost and dying world that there's a God that loves them and wants to save them? It's not something offensive, folks. It's the greatest news they've ever heard. And, boy, we need to get over this idea that we need to be timid about our faith because we're worried it might offend somebody. It's only offensive if we don't tell them of the great joy that God gives to our hearts because of all of His mercy and grace that He's shown to man. It's the greatest story man's ever heard. He gets to verse number 2 and he says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, our tongue was singing, and they couldn't even hardly come to their senses. And when they could finally get to the place of, uh, from their joy of laughing and, and having this expression of joy that their tongues could finally begin to articulate words, the next step they did was begin to sing. And I don't think they sang just kind of timidly. I think they sang it as loud as they could sing it. I was uh, practicing with the choir tonight, and I've said this so many times. I'm thankful God did not say that we have to make a beautiful noise to the Lord. He just simply says it needs to be a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people." And the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be, great, be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord, he is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad we have a God like that tonight? The psalmist is a master at penning these words as he speaks of the great joy that the folks of Israel are looking forward to in anticipation of God bringing deliverance once again to their nation. As they find in verse number 3, the Bible says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are what? We're glad. (laughs) We're glad. We ought to have time of testimony. And I'll tell you what, there have been times I've been in services where you ask somebody to just share a few words of testimony, somebody somebody." Say something that God's done good for you. And the next thing you know, it's been an hour and a half and we can't seem to get everybody to quit talking about how good God's been. You ever been in something like that? The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We don't take our light and we hide it under a bushel and say, we have a great God, but we're not going to let anybody know about it. We want the whole world to know about it. I'm not embarrassed of him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, that we would be bold in our faith and with great joy be able to express to a lost and dying world what Jesus Christ did for me. The Lord hath done great things for us. Let me ask you tonight has He done something great for you? If you're saved tonight, He has, hasn't He? Huh? Are you saved tonight? He's done something great for you. How many of you He's done something great even beyond that? <laughs> Not only did he forgive us of our sin, he gives us a home in heaven for all of eternity. Some of you have had physical problems he's healed you from or he's brought you through. Some of you have had financial needs he's met and supplied all your need according to his riches and glory. Oh, what promises God gives to his children. Why then do we not rejoice more? Why then are we not more excited about going out and just telling everybody we could? If I got home tonight and somebody called me up and said, Brother Greg, you won't believe this, but we have found a long, 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 and in my family's case, it would have to be a long, 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 long long, lost relative that was very wealthy, and they passed away, and they knew of you, and they left their entire inheritance to me, to you. And I don't care if it was 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be picking up that phone, calling everybody I knew. Man, Brother Larry, let me tell you what God did tonight. I'd be calling my mom and my dad say, Brother Wayne, let me tell you what God did tonight. You know why? Because something wonderful had happened to me. Can I tell you tonight, something wonderful has happened to you if you've been saved. Amen. Don't be afraid to say an amen when you talk about how good God is. Amen. There you go. That's a little better. I tell you, I'm so tired of Christians that don't rejoice in their salvation. God has done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. We're glad. You ever get to the point where you just can't take it anymore? It's just too much. God, I didn't deserve this. And yet you gave it to me. And you gave it to me out of a joyful heart because you loved me. What an amazing thing. The most amazing truth man has ever had to confront is that God loves them. God loves them. The nation of Israel expressing their gratitude for past deliverance to the Lord and looking forward to the time of deliverance once again finally comes to their prayer in verse number 4. The Bible says, turn again our captivity. O Lord, as the streams in the south, Understand that when they spoke of these first three verses that we've just dealt with and talked about the great joy that the nation of Israel had in their hearts for God, I want you to notice that they said it in the midst of their captivity. In the midst of the trials and the burdens that were on their life at that particular time, there was some sorrow that was going on. There were some of those who didn't understand and didn't know why God was allowing them to go through some of the things that they were, and yet they, in their sorrow, begin to praise God for His goodness. Can I tell you, there are times in our lives that even though we've been saved, we seem to fall back into the old nature again. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. It says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But the truth of the matter is we can fall back into the old flesh nature. We can walk after the flesh, Aren't you glad he's still standing there? He may bring chastening to us. He may bring some judgment along our way, and it's not pleasant. And the tears may come. But they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Isn't that a wonderful truth? I've heard this preached as a soul-winning verse, and there's no doubt about it. We can certainly relate it to soul-winning. But it's a wonderful truth to think of this, that they that sow in tears, even though they've gone through the valley, even though they've maybe done some things that God has brought a chastening upon them, they're in captivity. They begin to pray, Lord, you've been doing some great things for us, and we're so glad. Would you turn again our captivity? Oh, Lord. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Then I want you to notice that in verse number 5, while it said they that sow in tears shall reap in joy, for whatever reason, I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the psalmist writes in verse number 6, He, not the group, not the nation, the one, He that goeth forth and weepeth, Bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you and I have precious seed? Do we? We have precious seed. You can almost see, if you picture in your mind's eye tonight, the man out there in his field, he's toiled and labored. He's plowed the ground and prepared it. He has but a small amount of precious seeds, very precious to him, very dear to him. And as he begins to drop the seed into the ground, the tears begin to fall. As with that seed, he pleads, Lord, help this one to be fruitful. Help it to be fruitful. We find here a word that is used in verse number 6. That I believe is a word that we lose in the day and age that we live many times. Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth. Where's the weeping? Where's the weeping? You say, Brother Greg, I'm, I'm a man. You know, I don't weep, and that's fine. I, I understand men don't like to cry. But can I tell you this? Our Savior cried. When He was on the earth, the Bible speaks of three different times that we can find in Scripture, and He may have cried quite quite." Quite a bit more than that. As we see the nature of what he cried over, I'm certain there were more tears. But we find three distinct times in Scripture the Bible speaks of that our Savior cried. Can I share them with you real quick? The first one was found as he comes to the tomb of Lazarus. He stands there and he sees Mary and Martha and the few that are gathered with them. And he sees their grief. And I've heard people preach different things on this, and I'll tell you what I think tonight, okay? And I'm going to qualify it with, I'm going to tell you what I think. Some people think that Jesus was grieving for Lazarus, but I I don't know that I hold to that. Jesus knew what he was getting ready to do. Some people think he was grieving because he died. He, he He knew that Lazarus was where he was and that he was getting ready to bring him back to life. I don't know that he was grieving for Lazarus. If he was grieving for Lazarus at all, maybe it was grief that he was having to bring him back to this old world. Perhaps. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I think. I think the Bible teaches that we have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And I think his heart broke realizing that those that he loved were heartbroken. tell you this I don't know if you've gone through heartbreak in your life (laughs) if you haven't when you turn seven or eight you might go through it I think the rest of us have all had it at some point or another haven't we can I tell you this isn't it wonderful to know that there's a savior that feels that same heartache and pain and he grieves not because of the situation but he grieves because we're grieving what a savior What a Savior. He wept for those that were at the tomb. The second time we find him weeping, we find him in the garden of Gethsemane. I'm sorry, back up a little bit. We find him as he's coming into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The Bible says as they come into the city, he looks upon the city and he begins to weep for the multitudes. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Begins to weep for the entire city of those that were there. We don't know how long he wept. But he looked across that city, even though they were crying Hosanna and laying the palm branches down as he entered into the city, he knew what was to come. And he tells them, he says, one of these days this place is going to be laid waste. My children are going to be scattered. Because you didn't understand the day of visitation. You didn't understand while I was with you that I was the Messiah. And he wept for them. The third time we find him weeping, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes a little further into the garden beyond even where he left the inner circle of his disciples and told them to watch with him. He went a little further and he began to pray and he came back and found them asleep he woke them up and he goes again to pray and he kneels down in, in agony of spirit. While I believe that he certainly knew how to grieve from the human side of his nature, I believe this was the God of heaven who began to weep. Not because of a few people or just because of a city, But as he began to cry and weep, he began praying for the souls of the entire world. The Bible says that as he began to pray and the tears began to fall, that great drops of blood began to pour out of his, like sweat the blood began to come out of his eyes along with those tears as the weight of the sin of the world rested upon him. He prayed for the few. He prayed for the city. And he prayed for the world. Let me ask you a question tonight. What has happened to the weeping? I mean, there's great joy in the Christian life, isn't there? We're grateful for it. We're thankful for it. I don't think a Christian ought to go down in the mullet grubs all the day. We have a great story to tell. Man needs to hear it. But when was the last time we wept over a lost world? When was the last time we wept over a city? You ever drive up a, one of the high points of our town as you look out over the city and just see how many houses and how many souls there are represented there? Has ever stirred you. How many of us have ever wept for the few? Maybe some family member. Maybe some employee that we work with. The Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The Bible gives us that promise. But the Bible says he that goeth forth, look what it says, and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I wonder often if we are not concerned enough about the gospel. If we're not concerned enough about the captivity Being overturned to seek for the deliverance of others that that are lost. The nation of Israel praised God in three verses for all that he had done in the past. All the things that he was going to do. Then they prayed and they said, turn again our captivity. I'm sure some tears were shed. I wonder how long it's been since we've wept. Lord, turn again their captivity. Turn again the captivity of those souls that are still in Satan's prison house. They're still down there. They've not been delivered. The truth of the matter is, we pass by hundreds of them every day. Hundreds of them that are lost. The question tonight is what's happened to the weeping? Our Savior wept for them. Can we ask God to break our hearts again for the lost? That there would be something that would just cause us to pray and weep for them? Ask God to turn again their captivity? That God may be able to use us as an instrument in His hand to bring that gospel message to that person? I'll tell you, it breaks my heart sometimes that God doesn't use me more. It breaks my heart that I can't get to everybody. And there are times I hang my head in shame as I realize I had the opportunity and I didn't. Oh, that we would weep once again. Churches used to know what that was like. They really did. The altars used to be called mourners' benches because people would come and weep at the altar, broken, convicted. We've lost it. And along with it, we've lost God's power. I wonder often if the two are not associated very closely. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bringing his sheaves with us. Oh, that we would see that once again in our hearts and in our lives. Just a thought tonight to challenge us and encourage us along the way. Let's be joyful in what God's done in us. But let's be broken for what God needs to do in the hearts of others. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for your word. I pray that you would help us of all people to rejoice in what you've done for us. Lord, we of all people know and understand the great, great thing that you've done in our lives that's brought gladness to our hearts and brought great joy. And Father, we long for it to happen in the hearts of those that we come in contact with every day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to become broken for the lost that so they too can experience this great love and mercy that you've given to this from Calvary. I pray that you would help us to be uh, have a renewed zeal and burden and desire to share the gospel everywhere we go with those that have never heard Lord, that you would use us in a very powerful way. Lord, I believe time is very short. If we're ever going to do anything for you, Lord, we need to be busy doing it now. We need to get on with it. So, Lord, I pray this week you would use us. Father, there may be some Christians here that have lost some of their joy, and maybe there's no desire at all to reach those with the gospel because they've lost their joy. And maybe tonight there would be some that need to come and Say, Father, I just need to re- renew that joy once again. need to review all that you've done in my heart and in my life and your goodness to me. There may be some Christians here tonight that would come and say, you know, I've got great joy of what God's done for me, but I've lost my weeping. I've lost my tears. I've lost my compassion and concern for those that are lost. I've lost my vision for what God intends to have us do as we are left on this earth to share the gospel, and to reach this world. I've lost my view of that. Or there may be a Christian here tonight that needs to come and say, I need to rededicate my life to reaching the lost, doing all that I can to share the gospel everywhere I go. Bless the message tonight and the preaching of it. Lord, it's been a simple thought, nothing profound. And Lord, certainly nothing new. But Father, something that certainly needs to grab a hold of our hearts and our minds. I pray that you have your will and way in the invitation time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ted's bowed, please. Eyes closed. We're going to have just a hymn or two of invitation.